Once again, we see that foreign private buyers can't get enough of long-term treasuries. And we're going to talk to Stephen Van Meter today about, don't they know that Jay Powell is hiking rates? Don't they know that Jay Powell is going to hike rates to the moon? Why are so many foreigners buying long-term treasuries? Let's figure this out. What is it that is bothering not just foreign private owners, but also maybe a few domestic ones too? Now, the data I'm going to talk about is the TIC data, the Treasury International Capital data. It's for the month of September, so it's back a little ways. But if you remember September, September was a pretty interesting month, not just in terms of markets, but also rate hikes. So foreigners bought, according to the U.S. Treasury, foreign private owners, not foreign officials, foreign private owners. That's the key here. They bought a net $98 billion in long-term U.S. Treasury securities. Steve, don't these foreigners realize that Jay Powell is aggressively hiking rates in everything that he has said since September, including this week, and not just Powell, but other, foreign, uh, other Fed officials, don't these foreigners realize that the Fed is going to continue hiking rates, that inflation is supposedly is the biggest risk? Why are they buying so many treasuries? You know, Jeff, that's a great question. Because we were, before we started, we were talking about expectations versus reality. And I think this is really a perfect topic here because you look at the Fed and what is their expectation? They're going to raise rates. The curve is saying the reality is you're not. What about U.S. investors? They're saying the same thing. Hey, rates are going to go higher. We're going to dump bonds. We're going to sell bonds. And then somehow, for some strange reason, we have these foreign private investors that are buying bonds. And obviously, they must not know what they're doing at all because we also have foreign central banks, which are dumping bonds. So you have everybody saying that rates are going to go higher, except two people, the Treasury yield curve, which is obviously not a person, but it's kind of telling us where the economy is going. And you have we these can treat it as a person. That's fine. It, it acts it acts like a, a anamorphic uh, thing anyway. Right. And then you have foreign private investors. So, Jeff, what, really, what's going on here? Are who's got this expectations and reality right? Yeah, and I, Steve, that's a good point because expectations do play. I mean. Not to the degree that the Federal Reserve depends, you know, bases an entire policy on expectations, but expectations are a huge part of just being a human being, right? That's the way our, our lizard brain tends to look at the world. And, you know, that's the thing. If the expectation is, as the Federal Reserve reminded us repeatedly this week, especially in the wake of last week's October CPI that looked like it was a little bit soft, uh, markets certainly took that way, including stocks. So, Fed officials, as you said, came out breathing fire this week. It was Waller, Brainerd, kind of, but really James Bullard dragging up, dragging up the Taylor rule, saying that interest rates need to go maybe to six or seven percent. And yet we have these buyers, and I know the tick data is a couple months behind, but as you said, Steve, we do have the yield curve in real time, which has gotten even more inverted. So it's not unreasonable to suggest that these foreign private buyers are a good part of the yield curve. I would also say it's not just Americans selling bonds. There's a good chunk of the domestic market that must be at least somewhat sympathetic to the uh, yield curve inversion too. So we have expectations way, way, way over here, rate hikes in the Fed, and then be, the, the depth of inversion, you know, the 210 spread we haven't seen in 40 years. So we have expectations way, way, way over here in the exact opposite direction. How do we bring these two things together? What, 
the Fed's going this way. The bond market is going way this way. And it's not just bonds too, right, Steve? We've got euro dollar futures. We've got, you know, German curve inversion, any number of financial indicators there. Expectations could not be farther apart at this point. That's right. And I think this is important for people to understand is that when the curve is positively slow, when long rates are higher than short rates, what is it telling us? That the expectations that the future growth and inflation is going to be higher and that by taking a longer uh, bond, you are actually hopefully being compensated for that. So when you see these inversions, it's telling us that the expectation that rates are going to keep going higher are not going to be met with the reality. Now, Jeff, maybe the real question here is the Fed's got it wrong. The, the U.S. investors have it wrong. Foreign central banks, well, we know the real reason what they're up to, but we'll just say that they have it wrong for the story of this narrative here that we're going on. Why do foreign investors, private investors, why do they get this right? Because they usually do get it right, and they're typically always early. Is there a reason? Well, there's several reasons, right? Because <laughs> number one, um, they don't have, you know, they have to, they're accountable to their own portfolio positions because these aren't central banks. These aren't governments, as we said, these are foreign private owners. And just to, just to put another point of emphasis on it, not only did they buy on that 98 billion in September, again, just the long end of the yield curve, notes and bonds on that 98 billion in September, that followed 182 billion net purchased in August and 133 billion net purchased back in May. So over the past six months, at least up until September, all these rate hikes, all this inflation talk, all this stuff, foreigners, private foreigners had bought just notes and bonds in the treasury market over half a trillion, 517 billion on net. So they're expecting something relatively severe. As you said, Steve, curves should be upward sloping. And when I think of an upward sloping curve, it's not necessarily that rates are going to be higher. I think it's what it's saying is, you know, that's technically true. That's actually what happens. But I like to characterize it as um, investors are optimistic. They're looking at the future as better than today. And so in an, up, in an optimistic situation, you would expect the curve to be upward sloping because interest rates would go higher based on higher growth, higher nominal rates and higher nominal uh, uh, growth and inflation expectations. So if their foreigners are betting in the opposite direction, just the fact that they've that the curve has been inverted and bent and distorted as much as it is, we're already giving ourselves the answer here. Because if upward sloping is optimistic, better, higher nominal growth and inflation expectations, then inverted is starting from wherever the short end is. That's the Fed. The Fed's got the short end. Starting from there, going lower, that has to be at the very start lower nominal growth and inflation expectations. Now, the question is, and I think this is kind of getting into the next topic here, is what does that actually mean? So if these foreigners are looking at the U.S. dollar system, really, because that's where their, their perspective comes from, they're outside the U.S., they're invested, they use the U.S. dollar, they're, they're heavily involved in the euro dollar system. So what is their expectation of that system, as well as that, that leads us to lower growth, lower nominal inflation expectations in U.S. dollar terms. Right, because I want to point out to, to our audience here that there's some indicators here of what we're seeing in the yield curve. Remember, we first talked about when the 10-2, so when 10-year yields fell under 2. 
And then what happened? They fell under the, the 12 month or one year yields. And then they went under the six month and three month. And now they're even under one month. And I believe if Jeff, if I'm uh, wrong here, let me know. But I believe the 10 years under the federal funds rate as well. And the 30 year is underneath the high water mark of the federal funds rate. So the bond market is telling us something really important here is that we need to start looking at the data and saying, look, is everybody wrong here? Or is there strong evidence and increasing evidence that the global economy is actually slowing and i think there is where do you want to start you want to go into the producer price index where do we want to look because you know there's a lot of great places we could start well steve as far as u.s data let's start there um because this is u.s dollar terms this is a u.s dollar curve so ostensibly you'd think it starts with it begins with the u.s economy even though uh, foreign investors are thinking more broadly but you know the u.s economy is a big part of the global picture but stay steve Retail sales number this week. They actually looked pretty damn good, didn't they? I mean, the retail sales number was better than 1%, even excluding gasoline. Uh, I believe on even even adjusting for prices, real retail sales were up something like 0.7% on the month, which is a pretty substantial gain. So from the perspective of consumer expending, it kind of looks like, is Jay Powell right here? Is, is the Fed thinking that the consumer is too strong, the labor market's too good? and they still need to hike rates. How, how do we reconcile retail sales with this overall picture of lower nominal growth and inflation expectation from the yield curve? Yeah, and, and that's tough, you're right, because that's a hard position to look at because you do have to look at retail sales right now, Jeff, and say, look, they, they are good. And even adjusting to inflation, they're, they're not bad. I mean, you, you could try to find something bad, but you're not going to. The way I reconcile this is, is the banks keep increasing people's credit card limits. Now, we both know, because I know you read the sluice, the Senior Loan Officer Opinion Survey, and we note that banks are tightening limits on credit cards. What that means for the average person is that those limit increases you're getting, well, they're going to come to a stop pretty soon. And that new card you want, well, it's going to be harder to get. And all that means to me is, Jeff, I think people are going to continue to use their credit cards to deal with inflation. They're gonna to continue to spend with them until the banks tell them no. And that's why we see this kind of lagging effect because the banks start to get nervous. Hey, the economy's slowing down. And all of a sudden they start cutting back on credit expansion and then boom, retail sales hits a wall. Yeah, not only did we see this back in 2007 too, by the way, um, retail sales in October, November, 2007 were equally terrific in both nominal and real terms for the same reasons that you set out that consumers had borrowed a heavy, I mean, in 2022, it's off the charts, but in historical terms, in late 2007, they had borrowed heavily too on credit cards and other forms of debt and uh, non-revolving debt too, which is typical consumer behavior at the end of the recession. Get as much as you can before you have to go into hunker down mode, right? And I think that's, that may be, um, that may be what's what's going on here. I think there's a high high probability that it is, as well as, I don't know what you think about this too, Steve. Some people raised the fact that the California state government had issued, uh, what was it, gasoline inflation rebate checks, and that may have added to added to retail sales too. But even so, we aren't at the point, right? I think that's the, the, the point we're trying to make here is we're, the economy is not at the point where consumers are shutting it down. They're not going into winter yet. They're still you know, modestly uh, still trying to, especially with the Christmas season coming up, still trying to maintain that that hold on good spending um it's really mostly a slow it's mostly sort of a 
uh, a rolling over process where consumers are slowly adjusting their behavior, getting ready for that that next step, because that's what we hear from retailers, right? Target, uh, Walmart, even Walmart, which had absolutely terrific earnings, but they had absolutely terrific earnings because what what is it they said? Um, even our wealthiest customers are shifting down to cheaper groceries. And then, of course, Target, which sells more higher higher margin items, said, Ugh, this is really ugly. So even though the retail sales numbers look good, we see that there's already that shift in behavior that's consistent with the economy moving from growth and expansion to late stage, late cycle behavior, and then into the next stage, right? That's a key point you just made there, Jeff, the shifting, the transition. And that's what we're looking for is, this, is you don't see economies go from boom to bust with a snap of a finger. It's a gradual process. And perhaps what we're not seeing yet is the fact that tech companies are starting to lay off. We're seeing slowdowns in the factory sector. We're seeing it in the regional data. And these are all things we're going to dig into a little bit more here. But what we're starting to see is this transition because when you see Walmart earnings start to do better, it's because people are, like they said, they, hey, we know they're shifting down. And that's true. So we're seeing a lot of these leading indicators to say that this transition period we're seeing, that the yield curve is telling us it's actually happening is very, very real. So let's talk about producer prices because on the forefront, Jeff, I look at that number and say, hey, it, it slowed down a bit. That's kind of what the Fed wanted. It's really kind of follows oil prices and on a year over year rate of change oil, which is notable too. We, we should talk about that. There's this weird thing called contango going on in the oil space. So, but Jeff, you were telling me before the show, there's a real story behind the PPI. It's not that the Fed is getting something they want here about producer prices slowing down. There's really something going on underneath there that most people would never see. Yeah, let's... You know, it wasn't just the October CPI. That was the week before. Then earlier this week, we got the October PPI from the same folks. That's the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And though the year-over-year -year comp was still relatively high, it's still up around 8%. That's much, much better than it had been earlier in the year. And it continues to decelerate. But I think that brings us, there's, as you said, Steve, that, that gives us a couple, a couple big clues here that while the U.S. goods economy kind of looks okay. We're starting to hear anecdotes, signals, signs of it maybe transitioning toward the recession. In both the CPI as well as the PPI, we got a couple indications that suggest, wait a minute, while we're all focused on the goods economy, while we're all focused for good reason on inventory overhang and how that's going to eventually play out in production and everything else around the world, we kind of lost focus on services, which services is the bigger part of the economy. And as you said, Steve, where have all of these major layoff announcements come in? Yes, Twitter, there's some structuring and idiosyncrasies there, but it's been the tech sector. It's been the services sector that we start hearing companies saying, there's something going on here. And wouldn't you know it, when you look at first the CPI, while everybody focused on the headline, even the core rate, the CPI less rent part of it, actually declined in October, which suggests that service providers are cutting back their prices, which they don't do, they don't necessarily wanna do. And then further uh, this week in the PPI report, the PPI services for final demand, it fell in October too. So suggesting that service providers are suggest or they're saying our businesses are looking a little soft, we need to cut prices which is consistent with everything that we're talking about, the transition from expansion into recession. 
What if services, the service, the U.S. services economy is further along in that transformation, that transition than even the goods economy is? So while we're focusing on goods, maybe some people out in the marketplace are looking at the services economy. They're hearing all these layoffs in Silicon Valley and saying, let's connect these dots instead, right? Yeah, and that's really scary, Jeff, because as you know, the service sector follows the manufacturing sector with, with a notable lag, months. And right now we're seeing that being compressed much lower. And that, that's frightening because what's telling us is there's, this isn't just a garden variety recession coming. It's telling us that maybe perhaps these collateral shortages, these dollar shortages, the euro dollar futures curve, maybe there's something actually worse here that's going on. And then we, we want to talk about the oil market because I think it gives us another clue here because right now everybody's so bullish on oil. There's not enough. There's not enough of anything. There's not a production. There's not, there's just too much demand. And yet something kind of weird happened last week in the oil market that maybe, and maybe it's a premature clue, much like the yield curve inversion. Sometimes these things happen and they uninvert. And then, then when it happens again, you go like, uh oh, what did we see in the oil market, Jeff? What does it mean? Yeah, you're talking about contango, and contango is relatively simple backwardation versus contango. And any, any commodity futures market, backwardation is simply the market rewarding immediate production and use. If the, if the price in the future goes down from where it is today, you have a, a major incentive to, whatever, if you're a producer, if you have inventory, use it in the marketplace because the price only goes lower in the future. Whereas contango is the opposite. It rewards storage. There's too much of whatever the commodity is in the current marketplace. So the, the price of the futures curve or the futures price of the commodity goes up and the curve goes into that form of that kind of a shape, which suggests, again, that uh, the market is oversaturated with product and we need more of it to go into storage and a contango curve rewards those who have uh, those have the ability to store it because storage creates costs, which the future price absorb. And we've only been talking about crude oil in supply constraints, record low gasoline, diesel inventories, all these things. So you would expect, given the rhetoric, given what everybody's saying, OPEC, it's not just a U.S. Or global situation. You would expect the WTI and the Brent futures curve to be steeply backward dated, right? Every little bit of oil that we can possibly get, get it into the market because there's not enough oil. But yet, as you said, Steve, the front month, front month futures price in WTI, which was December, fell below the price of January, which suggests a little bit of contango in the short run. Now, of course, there are technical factors involved here because the December contract was rolling off the board. But even when you look at the January contract and further back, it was it's pretty much flat, almost contangled there, too. And again, the point here is it's supply, supply, supply. So how how can we even be considering contango here? Because contango should be nowhere near this curve. And the answer is like foreigners buying long term U.S. Treasuries, the market is seeing something. Something is bothering the marketplace that has to do with demand. It also has to do with money, which is the same thing that's bothering these foreign investors and treasuries, which is about global demand and global money, right? It's a consistent picture. Right, Jeff. And this could just be a, just a, a minor technical disruption, as you said, in the oil market. It could be virtually nothing. And I think what we want to make the point here for our fans is 
if we see this thing flip back into backwardation, and I would be willing to bet that it probably will, that would be fine. But if it flips back into contango again, again, this is just like the yield curve. Hey, there was a minor inversion. Okay, well, it, it went back to normal. So maybe if there's just some weird thing going on. But if it goes back to contango and it holds there, it's just another warning sign to tell us that, hey, these foreign investors who are buying bonds, that maybe they know something that we don't know. And there's a reason they're usually right, because what we're seeing here in this data so far, and now even in the regional Fed data, what are we seeing there? New orders continue to collapse. Even though hiring maintains fairly stable levels, we're seeing demand evaporate. Yeah, I take it one step further. Uh, on the foreign, uh, the Fed regional surveys, there are actually a couple that are, that are focused on the services part of the economy. There's the Dallas Fed and the Richmond Fed. And those, both of those services numbers, we've only seen them this bad in 2020 and 2000, 2008, not even 2007, 2008. So there is a lot of stuff that's kind of trying to get our attention on the services part of the economy, which, as you said, Steve, that's abnormal. <laughs> Usually the good cycle, the inventory cycle that leads to weaknesses in services. And then when the services economy goes, that's when you get the recession. We almost have the services economy leading the goods economy here, which is a whole different animal, which then gets us right. Uh, final words here. That kind of gets us to why the yield curve is so inverted. What is so upsetting foreign investors? What's so upsetting demand, demand uh, fears in the, in the oil market, right? Is that there's something unusual. Right, because what this tells us potentially is what I would expect is to see layoffs maybe more broadly start to hit mid-late December as the holiday season kind of works it through. This is kind of almost a warning sign to me that's saying we might start seeing an uptick in unemployment claims. And that's just telling us that the services economy is far worse than we thought. And that is not a good thing. I mean, this is not it's not just saying that people overhired. It's telling us there are real issues here in the economy. And at the wrong time, we should see the services sector doing quite well. And like I said, at least going through the end of December. Uh, that way, we know for the holiday season, then, you know, just some temporary layoffs as, you know, part time workers go away. Jeff, I, I don't know. I'm afraid maybe far worse than we think. But we'll find out, I think, in the months to come. Yeah, exactly. As you said, Steve, expectations. And the issue here is which expectations? Do you listen to the market? Do you listen to the Fed people who don't want to bias everybody, but they always get it wrong? <laughs> There's no accountability there. So, again, thank you for joining me, Steve. We'll see you again next week. Jeff, always a pleasure, and uh, we'll look forward to next weekend. All right. Take care.